0: get access to exclusive content and become part of the team you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash that's patreo dot com hey everyone i'm rod roddenberry and you're listening to trek fm these books? I thought I'd take some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones and with me as he is every week is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. Matthew, I see you've got a new robot friend with you there today.
1: Yeah I do Chris. Um, I I just found him on the side of a road and he he just apparently needed a lift. Really nice robot though I've got to say of, of all the robot people that I've met so far in my life he's he's really the nicest
0: yeah he seems very very friendly and very devoted much like the robot that we're going to talk about in the John Byrne photo comic today
1: yeah it may be a little bit too devoted I feel like he could stop stroking my hair and I'd be okay (laughs) but uh you know what what are you gonna do? I mean, he did get me this glass of water. Um, he he said he was gonna bake some cookies later. So you know. He, oh
0: wow! Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, let's go ahead. You know, we don't have any news today per se. So we're going to be it's the John Byrne Show. That's right. Welcome, folks, the John Byrne
1: Variety Hour. Today <laughs> we've got a lot of different things for you. First, we got a little TOS, and then we got a little TOS. Um, but the two completely different comic styles I mean we've got the photo comic we're gonna finally talk about now that you can see it, Chris, which yes again that's awesome that uh you're able to read again and 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 see the the three d nature of the photo comic now yes uh yes. and uh and then of course we're gonna be talking about uh in the main feature the Romulan schism comic that he did uh, years ago. And, uh, you know, it'll be fun, I think. Uh, we've right, and that's had... a
0: follow-up to the ones that we did maybe a month or two ago, The Hollow Crown. Yes, it's yes. It's the conclusion of that story. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's go ahead and get into the photo comic here. This is number three, Cry Vengeance! Apparently, they couldn't finish that. You know, they couldn't get the rights for and let slip the dogs of war. (laughs) So it's just cry vengeance. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So this was, you know, I, I looked at the cover and I saw what looked like an asteroid, although we find out as we go along that that's actually an alien's head. And then you see a robot in the bottom corner, you've got the doomsday machine, you've got the spacesuits like we saw, especially in the Tholian web. I wasn't really expecting this to be two separate stories in here, but we actually do have two stories to talk about.
1: Yeah, uh, so we've got the two different stories. Uh, You know, I thought somehow that the robot was going to be involved with the doomsday machine, like that they were going to crack it open and... That that I was, was waiting gonna, for yeah, it as I was reading. Exactly. I was waiting for it. So, yeah. um, but I, you know, I, I actually really liked that in the end, it, throughout the the whole first story is we really kind of keep the the doomsday machine itself a s you know, like a secret. We don't go inside it or anything, it's still very much right. a mystery. We find out where it's from and all that. Um we don't even get these aliens' names. It it's just it's from a very far galaxy and I uh, call them the biggins. The biggins oh, because okay. they're really
0: big, apparently,
1: they are really big, actually, that was really funny that basically they land on their desk, <laughs> right <laughs> like <laughs> they beam in and they're like on the desk and they they you look see
0: this this ship yeah. out there, and they're like, apparently this is a one man ship
1: yeah it it literally is like I have these little mini mates of this, this yeah this, exactly. you know and and yeah. that's that's what the crew it looks like compared to this alien, so
0: exactly. Well, let's go ahead and give everyone a spoiler warning. We're not going to go page by page in extreme detail of these photo comics, but we will talk about some of the things that happened here. So if you haven't read them and you're planning to, you should do that before you listen to this part of the show. Uh, This has been out a while, so hopefully you've already read it. And uh, if you're not planning to read it, then just listen along and you'll get the gist of what's going on here.
1: Well, I thought, Chris, that this was a pretty great idea. You know, the last time that we did a photo comic, it really wasn't our favorite, but right. this one was interesting because they're immediately following up the episode of the Doomsday Machine and kind of the aftermath of that. And I, I had to say that I think that the the artwork here and, and the way that he's manipulating these photos looks really good at the beginning, um, you know, the the... Inserting the Doomsday Machine. Uh, all the characters look pretty good, uh, and and I'm really liking it. Especially, you know, you get to page three and Kirk has his shirt off. Uh, so you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. all all the ladies, you know, really excited about page three. There, in fact, you, you know, know you what can, I you like want is to zoom into that one. You know, like this and yeah, zoom so, in
0: on it. Yeah. You know what I like is that Kirk has his shirt off, but. He has his shirt in his hand, and instead of putting his shirt on before he answers the view screen in his quarters, he just goes ahead and answers without the shirt on.
1: Luckily, it's not a two-way communication there with the video. Um, he's just getting a, a, a look there at the, the Doomsday Machine. He, he's, he's taking a look as is there waiting for. Okay, well, that's good to know. That's good to right. Know. They're 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 waiting for the the USS or the SS Darwin to show up, right. the, the scientific vessel that's going to be
0: taking over. Uh, very checking. appropriately named. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this, Matthew. The so, the story for this I really enjoyed, especially coming off of the last one where it was pretty much just a rip off of Children of Time. I thought this was a very interesting story, and for the most part, I do enjoy this one. I think this one shows part of the challenge of doing this photo comic as an ongoing series, though, which is that you reach a point, and he's reached it very quickly, and we saw it a little bit in the last one, too, where you can't simply pull images from the series because you're going to need new characters, you're going to need new villains, and you're going to need new ships that we didn't see. So how do you do that? And on page four of this one, we're talking about the Darwin here. For me, this was really jarring. And so far, I think it's the weakest. This particular frame at the top of the page is the weakest Photoshop collaging that he's done. Because the Darwin is very obviously a completely fabricated ship that was drawn as vector, probably an illustrator, Put into Photoshop, tried to blend it in with an image of the Enterprise from the series, but it doesn't work for me at all.
1: Yeah, I. I what I don't understand is that anybody who does three D manipulation with with photos here, I, I feel like you could make a much better looking Darwin ship. It's yeah. just, it, you know, um, there's plenty of fans out there who could probably have done this for John Byrne um, and yeah. created a more convincing. 3d image there to to the thing
0: is that it's not that the ship is bad but if you're going to put it in this frame with the enterprise there are things that you can do in photoshop i mean i could do it give me the file i could do it that would blend the ship in so that it looks more like it's part of the scene and i feel like When I look at the other work that he's done, I feel like he's capable of doing it. But for some reason, it just didn't happen here. And so it feels like someone took a decal, like one of those old (laughs) peel-off sticker decals of the Darwin and stuck it on top of this image.
1: Maybe that's what happened, Chris. You know they had that decal book come out where you could could do your own scenes for TOS? And maybe Mm -hmm. they just plucked this one from that and slapped it on there and uh that that's really what happened like it could
0: be yeah i can't <laughs> so,
1: get the decal off but uh it, it par- apparently it's not reusable um, right which so is too so bad. that's
0: one thing and then just below that when the officer from the darwin is on the view screen it looks like a head from a video game it it, it doesn't look it looks like one of these 3d sculpted heads from like oblivion Or something like that that's on the view screen. And so that also is a little... It's not terrible, but again, I just think that it shows that this is going to become more and more challenging as he goes on to pull off the visual side of this.
1: Well, and... I think that the main thing is is probably the speed with which they are having to work, to and that's part of an ongoing this. series as well, right? Yeah, and and um, you know if this was something that only came out like four times a year, yeah. I, I think that this would look perfect every episode, or right. every issue, right? because it feels like an episode, you know? Right, um, it does, and yeah. so it'd be, it'd be uh, a great episode. Yeah, and, and and so with that, I'm wondering. Like you, how do you do that? Do do you have this come out less or do you just somehow find a way to ramp up the production, especially of the elements that they have to create all the way? You know, I mean, obviously the Darwin has been completely created, um, Mm -hmm. you know, this character here. Um, that's the captain of the Darwin is, it's been completely created for this and there, there's nothing about it like a lot of the original episode here at all. So I don't know, it, it it's, it is a problem, um, because a What's lot a of times I would say? it does pull me out of yeah. the the actual comic because I'm okay, like, so
0: it's a problem oh, when oh. you're reading because it pulls you out a little bit. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's just, it's jarring. Because yeah. everything else feels like the original series. And then you see, you can blatantly see what's
0: brand new. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, well, that was one thing that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Because, you know, overall, I like this story. I think it's a creative story. It adds something to the Doomsday Machine. It adds something to the Star Trek universe. And it doesn't feel like he's just, retelling a story that's already been told before like last time
1: yeah not at all and and the way that he actually gets to use the characters too i mean uh, i really liked seeing that kirk actually goes down to the the engineering deck to talk to scotty you know to Mm -hmm. see what's really going on in engineering to get the update himself instead of you know just using the bridge console like they would on the show um you know they, they they can kind of do that here they have a little more freedom Uh, I I liked the interplay between Bones and and Spock and Kirk specifically as well as they're trying to figure out what's going on with this doomsday machine and then the ship that shows up out of nowhere that they haven't seen yet and trying to figure out, you know, who's piloting it, where does it come from and all of that. Uh, I I just think um, firing on all cylinders with this first story.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it was interesting to see the alien as we get towards the end, because this I mean, again, like the captain or the officer, is she the captain? I have to go back and reread it, but the officer from the Darwin, who I said looked like a character from Oblivion. Mm-hmm. The alien is a little bit more convincing. And I was I was zooming in, I was really trying to figure out like how did he create this alien because so much of this work is being done in photoshop and i look at the head of the alien for example and i'm thinking about the tools in photoshop and and how you create things and if he primarily created this alien by using patterns in photoshop and you know stamping and cloning and such then it's really pretty cool it's it's a it's an interesting job that he did here even though it's the kind of alien that I feel like we probably wouldn't have seen on the original series. Maybe it's a little bit too detailed. It reminded me actually a little bit of species eight, four, seven, two.
1: Yeah. It, it kind of has the feeling of, of a few different types of aliens uh, mm-hmm. from Star Trek kind of all put together and, and, yeah. and maybe that's what he did is that he just um, cut up pieces of different aliens from, from uh, all sorts of places from the Star Trek lore and, kind of put them together. That, that feels like maybe what he did. But I, I, I'm with you. I really like this alien. Um, I like the story behind it. I mean, it's a little far-fetched that, you know, it's been around for three million years
0: and it just wakes up every thousand years. That's the part that was far-fetched when he says that I get up one day every thousand to just check on the status of my pursuit. That was kind of, I guess the ship has some autopilot and it just follows this doomsday machine anywhere it goes. I mean, a lot can happen during all that time that you're in hibernation.
1: Well, and not only that, but the, the idea that this being had, you know, as as they said, been around for 30 centuries, you know, that mm. it's, that's how long it's lived, but then it's actually been around for 3 million years, yeah. but it's only been alive and, and kind of cognizant of its existence. Right. For you know, three thousand is is pretty crazy, and it's been alone the whole time as well. Yeah, I feel really bad for the alien as well because you know it it turns out that they had created the doomsday machine during a war. It came back to their planet and eradicated their planet as well. And his whole goal was to stop it. And this guy's only mission for this long has been to kill the doomsday machine and put an end to it. And he's like really mad because Starfleet has already done the job for him. It's like his only goal in life for like the last 3,000 years has been to kill the doomsday machine. And, you know, Matt Jeffries took that goal away from him. What a jerk.
0: It's like that time when Willie Tanner spent 10 years building a radio Alf broke it, but then Alf also just <laughs> fixed it like that. And Willie uh, said, it took me 10 years to build that. And Alf said, well, I'm glad to see you haven't wasted your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, this is a great comic, It, it uh, this first story. It does yeah, a I really good it. job of telling a, a fascinating story of of adding to an episode that we've seen before. And I really enjoyed what it does with the characters as well. And, um, you know, I, I especially liked, you know, the original series has this strange habit of having Bones be a part of stories he probably shouldn't be. You right. know, why is Bones on the bridge? And the doctor's first place? always up on the bridge. Yeah. Right. But uh, what was fascinating about this was to have him on the bridge and that that trinity just kind of bounces things off each other, you know, and, um, you know so bones and spock and kirk are always kind of working together even when he's not necessarily part of the story or maybe he shouldn't be realistically but um i just like it because bones is my favorite character so i'm glad he had a lot to do here
0: in the story so let's go on to the second story in here called robot robot (laughs) (laughs) i am alex
1: how may i serve you
0: now now that's that's a good point there. You're doing the voice because when I was reading this, I was trying to decide whether I should be hearing the voice like that, a very mechanical voice, or whether it would be a very natural human sounding voice. And I came to the conclusion that the voice itself was probably very natural human sounding. So but maybe the body of the robot okay, yep. is made to look this way so that humans wouldn't feel threatened. You know, like if data showed up in the twenty third century, it would probably freak people out.
1: Yeah. Um that or, or I just figured maybe he sounded like C three PO, so kind of like a, a prissy British butler, you know. <laughs> Thank you, Captain kirk You know, um And he so. says things like,
0: Now look what you've done.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. Well I, I think the, the most surprising thing is that this comic has done is in a few instances, they have taken side characters from the original series and actually made them the main part of the story. So a, a few issues we ago we had the whole story with Rand and basically why she left the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And so this story, we're going to get to know, um, you know, Commander Kyle, uh, Mister Kyle, uh, a little bit the the transporter chief.
0: Yeah, he's here. a lieutenant.
1: Yeah, so really interesting that the person that's responsible for creating this robot dr becker was actually his old girlfriend and he's pretty trepidatious
0: about seeing her okay now now dr becker is not played by ted danson right
1: no, no, not that, Dr. Becker, uh, okay. even though that would be an interesting story. Um, because It would be. Yeah, oh goodness, because um, everybody likes a little Ted Danson in their Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> there's just not enough Ted Danson in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anyone say that before, Matthew, but if you uh, yeah, say Yeah, so. <laughs> probably, yeah. So what really like is that Kyle is explaining his, his trepidation to to kirk and kirk's like there's hardly a member of this crew who hasn't been down that road mr kyle we all know how you feel <laughs> <laughs> and i like how the spock and bones are standing there kind of expressionless and kirk's got
0: that face like like he's dreaming about all those ladies
1: yep yeah. exactly <laughs> he's like which one could i he's tell him like, the story i remember about? that
0: time yeah there good was times that... mm, yeah yeah Well, what do you think about Alex here? Because this is a case, once again, where John Byrne is creating a new character from scratch and putting this character in these frames. And of course, you're dealing with a robot, so you don't have to worry about the details of a human face. But you do have to figure out how to blend this shiny being who, by the way... The arms and legs and all, don't they remind you a lot of the Cylons in the rebooted Battlestar Galactica? Uh, either Cylons or, uh,
1: you know, um, Terminators Terminator, as well. Or yeah. So, yeah. that or this could just be Satan's robot's skinny uh, brother. Okay.
0: <laughs> we need to ask Jeff Lang about this, right? He has the whole little robot museum in yeah, his house. Yeah,
1: so. but doesn't yeah. he kind of look like Satan's robot's skinny brother?
0: Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Hmm. So I think this is a case where John Byrne did a pretty good job of blending this in because it's kind of jarring because it's something that we wouldn't see in the original series. But when you think about the textures and the lighting and the blandishment that you would have to do as well to make this fit in, Mm -hmm. in most of the scenes here... It does not feel particularly jarring. I think Alex feels like he belongs in the scene most of the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is a little bit strange because, in a lot of ways, he really does kind of look like C3PO, you know, because he's so shiny and it isn't something that we're really used to. So, like, if Anakin got the
0: wrong kit in the mail, Exactly. When he went mm-hmm. to finish C three PO, maybe he would have put this on there instead. Yeah, I look a little bit more like Alex. So okay,
1: um, it was interesting because this this comic dives into that whole idea of robotic rights, you know, artificial life and it, it, its yeah. rights. Does it have any rights? Which is something we don't really touch in TOS because all the robots that we meet are bad, like M five and you know yeah. well, other TOS, robots like that. I mean, so
0: that was a time when the writers were not really thinking about those types of rights at that point because robots were still viewed as being very much like these mechanical Mm -hmm. beings then we get to TNG and we have data and because he's sentient then you really do have to deal with that but of course what we find out in here is that Alex has become sentient
1: yeah in many ways he has uh you know he has exceeded his programming. I do not know if I'd call him sentient, but yes, he's definitely taken on a life of his own. He has an artificial intelligence. His, yes, from yeah, his. He's not simply yes. programmed, yeah. right? Um, which was very interesting. I I, I liked too in this uh, this story. You can see that Kirk is is quite different and handles this quite differently than somebody like Picard, who's more oh, used yeah. to dealing with these kind of robots. And of course. Kirk has good reason. All the robots that he's met have been homicidal maniacs, basically. So um, he's afraid that this one will turn out
0: to be the same. And he has uh, Spock check it out thoroughly. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Now, the the ending of this redeemed the story a little bit for me. But I felt like the setup of the story was very transparent about what was going to happen. Because we have Kyle, we need to have a love interest in order to make this whole story with the robot work. And they can't make it be a love interest for Kirk or Spock or McCoy because fans would really, really question that. Like, well, why have we never heard of this person before? Well, you can do it with Kyle, but then that always feels sort of fabricated to me, like on Enterprise in Demons and Terra Prime where we find out that Travis has this ex-girlfriend who's working for the news service, and she shows up suddenly. They can't make it a love interest. Well, they could, but they didn't want to make it a love interest for Archer or Trip or someone like that. So it's Travis who really felt like a side character at that point, for sure, on Enterprise. And they do that here again with Kyle. I mean, have you ever sat around and wondered, like, I wonder what Kyle's past love life is like? Uh, you know no um
1: i think maybe it just it probably just feels fabricated because we those are characters we didn't spend enough time with on the series and so when they do something like that it it feels out of character because we're actually like learning about them and yet well, like i i kind of think of what kirsten yeah. byer said last week where you know just because a character that is a side character isn't on screen doesn't mean they don't have like Oh, a sure, past sure. or a
0: life or, you know, so... I'm going there, Matthew, on. is that the reason I say it feels fabricated is not that we're learning that Kyle has this ex-girlfriend. That's fine. It's that that plot has to exist in order to set up the actions of what happens with yeah. the robot Alex here. If we just found this out, but the story was something else, but the person who came on board had a past relationship with Kyle, but that isn't what... Causes the entire plot to play out, then I wouldn't feel that way so much.
1: Yeah, I I understand what you're saying, and and I think it it's a it's a really valid criticism of of this kind of story, um, where you really are only bringing up a side character because you need uh, some kind of you want some kind of connection with the crew, but right. it doesn't make sense for it to be your main characters, which you spend all the time on on the show. And so it does feel more like manufactured and just kind of fake.
0: well, it's because you know what the ending is and then you have to figure out how to make that ending happen. Yeah, exactly. Which, uh, which of course, I mean, that's valid in writing as well. I just felt like maybe he didn't set this up as well as he could have. Although there is a twist at the end that did soften some of the criticism that I had. Yeah, um, well, I I guess we could kind of jumped to the end and, and
1: what did you think of just kind of the way that he wraps up the story with the robot. Obviously the robot is, is being the robot is the one that's being accused uh, of of the murder or and the knocking Kyle out as well. Um, and then of course they kind of flip that. What did you think about that?
0: Well I think it's summed up here with the conversation that Kirk is having with the head of the computer development On Starbase 10 and Kirk is explaining what happened and Kirk says dr. Becker was consumed by hers meaning her passion all those years she was filled with an unfulfilled passion for lieutenant Kyle it drove her to attack him with a metal sculpture he had in his cabin we found it hidden in her quarters after she confessed and then they talk about the robot and you know the robot was not going to reveal that information and they say Dr. Becker was more successful than even she imagined. The Alex unit's loyalty to her made it unable to function on a rational basis. Yeah, and I think what
1: was so interesting about with that is that, you know, uh, Bones actually asked, you know, how would you describe that, Spock? And he, he says, there's only one word that I can describe that kind of irrational behavior, and it's very human. And mm. so this idea that this robot's kind of developed... Um, a little bit more than um anybody thought it could. I I yeah. think is really really interesting,
0: and that and that led me to jump ahead to think about all the times when Geordi told Data that what you did was human. Yeah. So oh yeah. This story is. I think it connects nicely to what we know of robots and androids later mm-hmm. on in Star Trek. And and they're facing this issue in the 23rd century, which is something that we didn't really get to see because we saw things like the M5 computer, something like that. But that's an actual computer, whereas here you're dealing with someone who you have to interact with the way you would interact with people and who has developed its ability to think for itself and interact with people in, on a personal level, not like a computer. I'm really
1: hoping too, Chris, that this is the way that we will continue with these photo comics and the type of stories that we'll be getting. Because again, yeah. you know, this feels much more like that first issue that we both read and, and really enjoyed, where a continuation of TOS, you know, I, I feel like this could be, you know, TOS you know, season four. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to see that kind of thing happening. And, and, and you know, as long as it's original storytelling it's it's almost always better than just kind of a a half-hearted attempt to redo something we've
0: already seen in, in another series well that's the thing like i feel that john byrne's greatest strength in his comics is in the storytelling and that's why i was so disappointed in the story that felt like it was lifted from ds9's children of time because i think he's capable of telling much better stories than that and making them original oh yeah definitely and and
1: i mean what's so interesting is is that as we'll talk in the future you know i think he really is kind of a a master at weaving some very interesting stories and you can tell he really does know his star trek lore and um that is really helpful when you're doing a comic like uh, the photo comic that he's he's doing now
0: absolutely so what would you give this issue matthew I
1: would give this eight and a half really devoted robots out of ten. Okay, great.
0: I'm going to give it eight. Hopelessly devoted to you. <laughs> oh, sing it in your Alex voice. <laughs> I don't even
1: know how to do that. <laughs> Is that. Can you sing like this? Hopelessly devoted to you. perfect yeah
0: wow
1: (laughs) uh we just lost a lot of listeners
0: (laughs) all right i'm gonna give this one eight very tiny starfleet officers on a giant aliens desk
1: that's a great rating
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's go ahead and get into the feature now continuing our john Byrne discussion here today matthew with the schism comics
1: well, Chris, uh, this is a series that came out in 2009 and obviously illustrated by John Byrne, a sequel to his previous Romulan stories that we have done on our show as well. The Alien Spotlight Romulans and then Romulans The Hollow Crown. And what's really interesting is this does continue the story threads that we've seen through all of those uh, of the Klingon Romulan Alliance and that time period. Uh, during that run of the original series, uh, into what have, would have been approximately season five of the series. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really exciting to kind of see this play out. And you know, who would have thought, I think, um, when he first did the Alien Spotlight comic that would turn into this kind of big epic storyline for the Romulans in general. Kind of makes me want John Byrne to write, the Romulan war comic series.
0: Like, I feel like that Mm -hmm. would be really exciting. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. So this one, you know, it's interesting right off the bat here for me with this. And it's the influence of reading comics and having the expanded universe and a little bit of enterprise where we find out about the, the virus and they try to explain smooth head Klingons and, and the ridged head Klingons but we, we've come to learn, and I believe it was in Blood Will Tell, right? Where we come to learn that the smooth-headed Klingons are the ones that are really running the show. And the Klingons with ridges on their heads, they exist together. But the the ones with smooth heads, they are stronger because they are augmented. And so they're actually calling the shots. And that's something that we've never thought about in Star Trek before, but when you get into the expanded universe and you get into the comics, that's what's been set up. Uh, and in fact, David Mack has that in Seekers, where we have a mix of the smooth head and the ridgehead. And when I see this frame here where Kor and Koloth are there, and they're talking to the Chancellor it takes me into that, and I think that it it makes the Klingons more interesting as a race.
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of fans kind of bristled at the Understandably Enterprise so. episode. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And at the same time, um, I always thought it was really fun and interesting, and in a great way to explain what had happened and still kind of leave some mystery about, okay, how everything else happens. I mean, you know, Kor and Koloth and, and Kang all end up with, you know, ridged heads later on in Deep Space Nine. So how that gets
0: reversed is a that's, whole other story. That's the um, one bit in the whole story that's sort of hard to piece together.
1: Right. Uh, and and so, but yeah, I think that this makes for a fascinating story. So when we open up here and we're on Kronos and we're we're in this throne room here, of The Chancellor and his daughter and Kor and Koloth who have been creating this whole plan for the uh, Klingons to maneuver the Romulans into a war with the Federation so the, the Klingons aren't the one doing it because they're still afraid of the Oregonians is just really spectacular storytelling um, and also doing a great job of explaining why it is that the Romulans and the Klingons have so much shared technology. Um, this, this really answers that question, I think in a, in a very organic way, it it mm-hmm. just makes sense. And I really appreciate, um, John kind of setting this story up and, and to me, this is completely part of the, my head canon now, uh, with the, yeah, the, same with the Klingons me. and the Romulans, because I just think it is, uh, fantastic storytelling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's same for me. I feel that way too. So uh, we didn't give a spoiler alert, so we should do that. We are going to talk about the comics in, in detail here. We had someone post in the listener group recently, I think, that our comic shows tend to be very spoiler heavy, whereas our book discussions are less so, and, and that that is the case because we approach them differently. With the comics, we're just really walking through them. With the uh, books, like when we have an author on, we're really talking about how the book came together not so much the details of, of what's in it. So so just a note there of how we approach comics. So still early on here, Matthew, this this thing is frightening to me right <laughs> off the bat. I mean, Oh, really? This Klingon princess. she's mm-hmm. the daughter yeah. of the chancellor at the time, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Sprawled out way too many pillows for a Klingon. I wouldn't expect them to want to have such a soft bed. But, oh, man, I don't know. The first thing I thought is that, you know, I know you really always enjoy looking at all the illustrated ladies in the comics, Matthew. I was wondering if uh, this Klingon princess here was doing it for you.
1: Well, I was just kind of shocked. I mean, uh, you know, the TOS has a hint of sexuality in it with its female character. Just with its jump. female, yeah, <laughs> with its female characters, because it's the '60s and they can't get away with much, yeah. um, and so you don't really expect it to be this in-your-face and kind of blatant. Uh, but John Byrne, obviously, it's a comic. It's 2009, so he can kind of go there. And we find out that uh, as Core leaves on his ship, Koloth is is summoned by the princess, and well, they have. Uh, a royal tryst um, and uh, a a little afternoon delight one might say well I mean she is jumping on him like a linebacker uh yeah it's like a pair of wild voles went at it um and so very interestingly as as Koloth is getting laid (laughs) Kor is getting banged but (laughs) the show title (laughs) 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 Because, and, and not in a good way, he's getting destroyed by a Federation ship while his, his bro is back, you know, at the palace getting some action. Um, so,
0: I really just feel bad for Getting Kor- destroyed by a Klingon princess, let's be exactly. honest. Exactly,
1: yeah. I just really feel bad for uh, Kor. He's really getting the, the short end of the stick here. Um, I feel kind of bad for Koloth. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, he doesn't really seem to, to need any help he's he's a Klingon so yeah
0: you know this is what he's dreaming about all the time so definitely
1: um well and it's really interesting because you know uh Kor's ship is unmarked and it's taken for a Romulan ship and so the the
0: Klingons do attack it and yeah what is that it's an unmarked ship do they have like a little light that they put out on the top when they want to show that they're Klingon is it like an unmarked police car
1: I mean I I, I wonder that too and and then the artwork just makes it blatantly clear there's 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 nothing on the paint job you know there's no uh, klingon uh, you know yeah, I know it's plain, icons but... are, are or uh, so it it. But I we think, know from these comics
0: yeah. that the Romulans go all out and like paint as much crap oh, on yeah. the ships as they possibly can.
1: They decal that son of a gun up. I mean, <laughs> it is it is pimped out. They, <laughs> the Romulans, they're they're big ship. show. <laughs> Pimp my ship. Yep. <laughs> so that could be a show title too. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Well, and and. Then, I mean, so Core's ship is is attacked, and they have a damaged nacelle. They are able to kind of rig for a silent running, and then we jump to Romulus with Gaius, who was set into office as the Praetor during the Hollow Crown series, and Mm -hmm. he is still Praetor now. If you don't remember, uh, listeners, he is also the son of the Romulan commander from Balance of Terror,
0: Right, so, and they make a big deal in this series here about the new Romulan ship that they've built, this mm-hmm. gigantic bird of prey. And he says it's named after his father. And I'm like, so, so, what's the ship called? Is it like the Romulan Commander? Is that the name of the ship? Because we yeah, don't the know Romulan what your dad's name was. Centurion, I mean, um, <laughs> and they zoo. never name his father. Yeah, they don't. In the series either. So.
1: they don't. Well, and 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 really, the the. Most interesting thing here is that this this little scene kind of goes to dig at the heart of what Gaius is after this whole time. He's been fed by the Klingons this lie that it yeah. was Kirk that killed his father. And so that the Klingons are just kind of digging that in by saying, you know, we've one of our our Commander Korr's ship has been attacked by a constitution class vessel and we don't know which one yet. And so Yeah. Um, and it turns out it's not Kirk, but guess who? It's number one—the one. original.
0: That's now right. it's interesting here. We talk about the likenesses of the illustration a lot, and although it's not revealed until much later in the series here that this Commodore is number one, Christopher Pike's number one. You know immediately because it's just—it looks just like Majel Barrett.
1: Yeah, they john Byrne just does a fantastic job of selling that character and it's great to see her with her own uh ship uh and the fact that you know now she is a commodore she's been around for a very long time and it's her ship that's been given the cloaking device uh that Kirk had stolen mm-hmm. back in the Enterprise incident. So and
0: her ship is the
1: Yorktown. Exactly. So they are are still kind of playing this cat and mouse game with Corship while Koloth is still lounging around in bed as his princess puts on her boots and nothing else.
0: I know, right? Yeah. She's there, <laughs> strategically positioned arm, so you can't see any nipples, but otherwise a nude cling on woman, side view putting on knee high boots. That's what's going on here. And if you've ever wanted to see Koloth without a top from waistline up, well, that's here for you as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they are just, I mean, John is firing on all cylinders as well here with, uh, you know, the Klingon erotica. <laughs>
0: I'm not sure so. that's the best <laughs> phrase to use here, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's funny, we're laughing a lot, but I do have to say, and and I want to be all, in all seriousness. This is really good story. It is. Um, yeah. it, it, we are laughing at this, but I, I think what it's it's doing is is kind of uh, creating a a very visceral storytelling style here, and in the kind of the ruthlessness of the Klingon Empire and the way that they are. Um, very much portrayed in that that TOS era where they're kind of more Romulan than the Romulans are. They, oh, yeah. They're yeah. devious. They're always um, thinking of new strategies and new plans. Uh, and so I, I love seeing that here. John really gets that. And it turns out that uh, the princess and Koloth are actually in this together to overthrow her father to make oh, yeah. her the chancellor. So there's a lot going on in this series. Not only does he have a plan obviously for domination of, you know, the the galaxy by having the Romulans go at the Federation so then the Klingons can get involved and take them both out, but he also wants to rule be the one behind
0: ruling the empire as well. We should also mention Matthew that what's going on in this overall story is that the Klingons cannot directly fight the Federation because of the Organian Treaty. The Organians will not let them do it. So they're trying to circumvent that by using the Romulans and this new Praetor as pawns to basically fight a proxy war for them against the Federation. Exactly. And
1: um, I, I think that, again, it's really fantastic storytelling to see that John knows his his... Tos, He knows this oh, yeah. uh, the, the storyline there. And, you know, I, I guess I might not have necessarily thought of the fact that the, the Organians are still a feature, you know, say, in my, maybe a season five of the original series, you know. Um, well, that's even I'll,
0: explained in here where the Organians mm-hmm. themselves, when they finally appear, say, you know, we've been really lax on this. We've kind of been letting you guys do what you want. Mm-hmm. We haven't really been following up, but... You've gone too far now, so we're back.
1: Yeah, which is, is really fantastic. Um and and it leads to the reason that Kor and Koloth have come up with kind of this master plan of feeling like they can kind of manipulate the Romulans and, and get away with it because they haven't really seen a lot of evidence of the Organians really um upholding that treaty, you know, and and, and making sure that uh things actually pay off the way that they had had put in motion so mm-hmm. turns out that uh the Romulan Praetor is uh going to head off to that brand new ship and um go see what's out there basically and put it to good use um he he's definitely on the prowl really for Kirk um yeah his whole goal is is to find Kirk, which is is
0: an interesting thing, and in seeing that um, it's a very you know that, popular goal in the galaxy, Matthew. I mean, that was Khan's goal as well in the Wrath of Khan. So, yep,
1: everybody seems to be after Kirk. Um, yeah. It's and it's you know apparently it's not even his baby mamas. Uh, you know, it's it's just people he's ticked off by like killing their father or something, yeah, you know? or at least like supposedly that. killing their father. I right. mean, come on. Jeez. Let it go. Uh,
0: And no, I'm not going to sing Frozen. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I have to hear that song about five times a day because all the Japanese television channels apparently have bought the rights to use that song for absolutely anything they want. So... Wow. Here's today's sorry. weather forecast. And it'll be playing in the background. Yeah. So. So that really makes sense with the weather, too, because. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, as we get to the end of this, though, now this I thought was really cool. There's the the confrontation between the unmarked Klingon ship that we're talking about here, Corn Koloth, and the Yorktown. The Yorktown lures them in. They think that the systems are dead on the Yorktown. And then at the last second, the Yorktown activates, shields, and cuts the head off. Right where the neck piece of this D7 connects with the, the body in the back. Cuts it right off. I thought that was awesome. Yeah,
1: it was awesome. I'm surprised we hadn't seen that before uh, in some kind of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a quick tidbit, Chris. Right before we leave this this comic, we do need to mention one important thing is that as Koloth is, is leaving his tryst, um, his afternoon delight, he runs into one of his officers and they have a conversation in the hallway. Unbeknownst to them, they're being monitored. And the Chancellor finds out all about his little plan to overthrow yep. uh, with his daughter. So that'll come to play later on in the series, but it is an important note
0: Absolutely. for the actual storyline. So, And then the final frame here is... And a great Klingon move, even though they've lost the back of their ship, they still go ahead and crash it into the saucer section of the Yorktown, right on the bridge, in fact.
1: Yeah, that is a great way to end this. I mean, it ends with this amazing art shot of Kor's ship just slamming right into that very exposed bridge um, and the probably not such great design of Starfleet chips so of just putting the bridge right there it's, on top.
0: You know, exactly what Doug Drexler and I were talking about with the new uh, design of the Deep Space Nine station, how mm-hmm. the core, it would make sense to put the ops in the center of the core, right? Instead of it being up on the top. But, oh, yeah, where anybody can just come and blow but, it away with the future. But from a meetings. storytelling standpoint, you like to be able to maybe peek in and see your crew, yeah. right? So,
1: Well, in, in that visual medium, it makes sense. Yeah. So when we get to that second issue, Chris, uh, we're kind of thrown for a loop. So if you haven't read this before and you're just kind of listening to what we're talking about, this issue actually goes back in time to kind of explain how the Commodore ends up with the cloaking device in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it does this time jump. And it I think it will definitely throw you for a loop the first time you read it because you're expecting to pick up right where we left off with the yeah. Yorktown and cola, did, Core ship. So. Did
0: we mention up to this point, Matthew, that the Yorktown is using the cloaking device that Kirk stole we in the did. Enterprise incident? Mm-hmm. I can't remember we if we mentioned it or not, but that's what was going on in the battle there. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- they are cloaked. And so yeah, so we jump back and we're here at the Federation headquarters and Commodore number 1 is talking to uh some other commodores and admirals here, I guess. And they are they're asking her to take possession of the
1: cloak, install it on New York Town and use it uh there near the neutral zone to figure out what's going on with the Romulans and she's really not happy about it and uh, apparently a friend of hers isn't too happy about it either who is on the the board of of admirals or badmirals we might say the board of badmirals. Um, th- the board like of admirals. <laughs>
0: um i have a question so, about you in this picture here where she's talking to the board of mm-hmm, you see the flag that's sort of right in the middle of the page here do you think yes. that was the inspiration for wesley crusher's outfit in season one of tng
1: You know, I think it was. You've got blue
0: and then a yellow stripe and then a
1: red stripe. mm -hmm, Yeah. It looks like uh, basically, apparently, Wesley's uniform was just a flag that somebody repurposed as a jumper for Wesley. Kind of like Jake
0: Sisko's outfit was a repurposed bus seat cover, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, They like to be consistent there in Star Trek wardrobing. So, uh, and And very uh, creative
0: at the Starfleet Academy school. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's like, um, you know, Maria from the sound of music making clothes out of the drapes for the kids. I thought you were going to
0: start singing Blondie now.
1: No, 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 no. (laughs) Uh, if anything, it would be something from the sound of music, but, um, anyway. All right. We're going to move past that, and then we finally get to the Yorktown, and they're yep. installing the, the cloaking device. We find out that the cloak actually draws an enormous amount of power to use it, and the engineers really kind of upset about it uh, because of the way that the cloak doesn't really integrate so well into Starfleet technology.
0: Starfleet engineers, especially in the 23rd century, they're just upset with anything that that messes with their yep. engines in any way, yep. right?
1: Yeah, um, and I would be too. You know, uh, the, really protective of uh, you know your engines, and so they head off to the neutral zone, and uh, the neutral zone is being guarded by these asteroid outposts, um, and they are they watch the neutral zone, uh, and uh, apparently don't get a lot of visitors, so they invite the commodore over for for a meal because well she's looking pretty good, and all these guys haven't seen a lady in a while. So, (laughs) and they talk about what's been going on um, with the Romulan fleet movements and the uh, idea of the cloaking device that they've um, obviously heard rumors of with with Kirk stealing and everything. And it turns out that as they're having dinner, this huge Romulan fleet is passing by um, in the neutral zone. I, it's just a great shot there too it, really beautiful shot I, I really like too in the iPad you kind of turn it on its side and gives this full page of all these Romulan warbirds so
0: well and like we said they are really, they've decaled the hell out of these things
1: oh yeah, yeah they have pimped their ship until uh, you can't pimp anymore
0: you know there's the, the Weird owl song about the tattoos and he sings about how he's still got this one little spot of skin <laughs> that's not covered yet it's kind of like that. Like, they've even got them up there on the bottom of the front of the ship. If we could see the top view, they've probably got them up there as well. I can I can see, like, this conversation here. It's like, you missed a spot. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: well, as
1: the Romulan fleet passes by, uh, Number One decides that she needs to pursue them and see what they're up to. She engages the cloak, and they kind of follow secretly, um, while that's happening, the Romulan Praetor is, is boarding his brand new ship named after his dad, which we still don't know the name of because they never actually mentioned right. it. The ship is called um, My Dad, the Romulan Commander. Exactly. That's a really long class name. My Dad, the Romulan Commander class?
0: Well, it's the class is My Dad. It's the My Dad class, and the oh, ship's the name my is dad the Romulan class. Commander. Okay.
1: Okay. okay. Yeah. That makes much more sense. Yeah. yeah. It is a big, huge Romulan warbird. Uh, it's like 12 times the size of the old ones so um, turns out that as the the Yorktown is following these ships that are cloaked they, they've been spotted and they have some words over you know the the projectors well, there and, well don't
0: forget what happens Matthew before they have words on the view screen there they actually set the cloaking device to flicker
1: oh yeah to stripe Yeah.
0: I didn't know that cloaks had a flicker mode on them.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, Christmas lights, you know, you can have them like blink on and off. (laughs) Um, That or really, it's just pinstripe mode because that's what it looks like.
0: Um, I can picture like teenage Romulans. They're like buzzing cities with the flicker mode on (laughs) as they fly overhead.
1: Yorktown, unfortunately, is attacked and uh, then she pulls off a move that I've never seen before. It's pretty awesome. Finds a way to figure out exactly where the Romulans are. She incapacitates all of them in this, this fleet that flew by. There yeah. seem to be more of them, but she's she's good. You Which don't want to get in a fight with the one. Seven yeah.
0: different phaser beams firing at the same time yeah. and it hits three of them. The it's, three yeah, it's awesome. Yeah.
1: Um, They have a huge firefight. They're trying to escape. They end up running into Kor's ship, which then they have the battle with. And we actually end with Koloth approaching Kor's battle-damaged ship. And uh, apparently, too, his princess has come along as well in a quite fetching outfit. And that's where we end as they look
0: on and see Core's ship
1: just kind of hanging there. Yeah. Um, pretty damaged. It, it's it's in bad shape.
0: Now, I have a question here, Matthew, with the Klingon princes, and she's mm-hmm. wearing this outfit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We saw her put her boots on first when she was getting out of bed with Koloth. Mm-hmm. How does mm-hmm. she get the pants on after the boots are on?
1: Well, you have to remember uh, that... After she had put the boots on, they were standing there on the balcony and uh Koloth is able to entice her back into the bedroom. Oh, okay. And so my guess is this those boots came off, who knows? I mean this it's it's Klingon, so who knows what happened. I'm not even gonna
0: speculate. Well, it's time for a little Shania Twain, Matthew. Uh whose bed have your boots been under? Yeah, That's right. it really is. Um in so
1: whose heart did he still, I wonder. <laughs> anyway. So uh, this scene, this Chris, is the you, beginning. You can't give me a song. <laughs> You're setting me up.
0: <laughs> so so this scene, Matthew, the final page of issue two, is the beginning of the confusion that I had in terms of what's really going on with the storyline here, because we have Koloth's ship with the princes on it approaching the neck piece and the the front of Kor's ship which we saw get cut off at the end of issue one and just keep that in mind as we go into issue three Mm -hmm. and we see other people approaching this battle scene and the ships that are involved because I became a bit confused about where we are in the sequence of events and which ships are fighting which ships here
1: yeah, it is a little strange. We, we start the third issue here. Uh, it, it actually starts on Romulus with the Praetor's wife. And uh, they ask, uh, her, her handmaidens ask if, if they've heard any word. And she says no, she hasn't heard anything from him in six hours. The next scene is that huge Romulan warbird, that daddy class. Which um, we see from it, the bottom for the very exactly. first time. And it's it's definitely been pimped out. It's been pimped um, out too, yeah. Really nicely done. Uh, it does and it's look like, a like
0: you know, like on a, a sports car where someone will mod it and they'll have like the gigantic mm-hmm. double exhaust pipes coming out oh, of the yeah. back. Oh, yeah. This one's this got... This one's like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I wonder if those whistles go, woo! <laughs> 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 so, um, that's a that's a YouTube reference if anybody gets it out there. Yeah. Uh, but we we see this ship; it's it's approaching the battle damaged ship of of cores, and the Yorktown is there as well. The next scene: the Praetor ship has beamed both the Starfleet crew and the Klingons crew onto the same tr- transporter pad, and everybody there is is taken prisoner by the Praetor ship. Um, The Klingons start firing, of course, and a few of them get disintegrated by the Romulans. And uh, luckily, Gaius comes in and tells everybody to stop because that's not what he wanted to have happen. He did not want bloodshed.
0: Or at least vaporization. Exactly. So, Matthew, now we move to a scene that furthers my confusion because we cut from people being vaporized, Klingon crew, Starfleet officers, the crew of the Ork Town who have all been beamed over to the Praetor's new ship. And then on the next page, at the top, we see a conversation going on between these people. And inset into that, we see Koloth's ship approaching the husk of Kor's ship with the princes there on the bridge with him. And how is this possible when... The the praetor's bird of prey is there.
1: Yeah, I think what it, this is 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 we do a little bit of time jump backwards to kind of replay from from Koloth's perspective as he he watches, core ship slam into the Yorktown, and he's kind of seeing that play out. And then, of course, okay, as so- he sees that play out, um, the Yorktown is left, you know, hurt. And yeah. and they've moved to the battle bridge and then Koloth ship starts firing on the Yorktown. Obviously sure. the Yorktown right now is minus one Commodore and her bridge crew yeah. because they've been beamed away by the by the cloaked
0: Romulan daddy ship. Yeah, but I don't I don't think the Romulan daddy ship is cloaked. That's the thing. So I mean it, it is I, cloaked at one point, but well, it shouldn't and be and able to beam everyone yeah. over if they're. Cloaked. And
1: if you get, yeah, if you the if, yeah, I I hear you, and it so doesn't think, kind of sense. So I think as you explain sense. it here
0: now, I understand what's going on. That's fine. Yeah. I think that the way that it's presented is really clunky. It is, clunky. but if you stop and think about it, now if we go backwards ourselves after we've walked through this, you can imagine that Koloth is explaining what happened, and then we're seeing what he's telling the mm-hmm. praetor if you yeah. look at it that way it makes sense the problem is that mm-hmm. the artwork doesn't really lead you through that
1: right and then uh what happens is if as the yorktown is battling with koloth ship the praetor and his cloaked new daddy warburg is is just watching everything happen and he's also trying to get information out of number one because yeah. she won't tell him anything and what he's trying to get out is is where is Kirk. Right. Um, now, before that,
0: what I I love in the artwork here, though, is that, and and they say it looks like the Starfleet ship is trying to pull away because there's been this collision. It mm-hmm. reminded me of Nemesis when you have the Enterprise and the Scimitar where they've mm-hmm. rammed each yep. other. Yep. And then they back the ship out, which was a really cool scene. It reminds me of that.
1: Yeah, it's it's really good once you kind of get past where you were confused the the artwork and in the way that the storytelling is going is is really fantastic mm-hmm. here and the and the speed just really picks up there a lot's going on they're trying to find the information Gaius is the the Praetor is from uh, the Commodore um, they're threatening to kill one of her. Underlings uh, to, to, to get what they want, to, to to find out where Kirk is. And at the same time, a whole brand new fleet of Romulan warbirds shows up. Yeah, And then, of course, they confront Koloth and his ship. And it turns into an all-out war, basically, between all of these ships. And that's when the Organians finally step in.
0: Well, no, not yet. Then three constitution class oh, yeah. starships show up as well. How could I forget? And then Koloth starts attacking the Romulans and the Starfleet ships. And everybody starts shooting at each other. Right. And that's oh, when I... the Organians say, "All right, this has gone far enough now." Yeah. Which is is really
1: fantastic because um what they do is is they, you know, they they tell everyone like they did with um the the original episode they they show up everywhere they show up you know on their homeworlds and and uh, on their ships as well telling them why they're not going to let them continue this way and they also I thought was so interesting they break the Praetor by I mean just emotionally they break him by telling him you have been completely duped by the Klingons and your dad wasn't murdered he gave himself up. Uh, you know, honorably so that his ship would not be overtaken by the enemy. Right. And um, I I just think that's a really interesting thing. So he goes back and he's gone. Uh, She, his wife ends up becoming Praetor and kicking the Klingons out for good. And the Klingons go back and Kor and Koloth go back to the homeworld Kronos and then of course uh, the the chancellor knows all about the plans that Koloth and his uh you know little princess have had and then it turns out that Kor saves him by saying no 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 you don't want to kill Koloth he was in it the whole time we've been We've known about this. We've just been waiting for the right time to tell you um, because we just wanted to make sure we could get everyone exposed. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they they, so, they
0: play it like they were working to exactly. expose his daughter in her plot, right? Uh, yeah.
1: Which, unfortunately, she ends up dead. Yeah. Um, so, if you were hoping for something good to happen there, nope, she ends up dead. Uh, and uh, a, a new Romulan Empress comes to power, so... Uh, that's, that's how it ends and uh, yeah, really good story. So on a whole, Chris, what do you think? Like, uh, besides the confusion that you had, what did you end up thinking of the storyline and everything like that?
0: I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. You know, it, like, like we said, this is a continuation of the hollow crown, which was a continuation of the original Romulan alien comic. And I think they could continue this story as well if they ever wanted to. You know, this is not necessarily the end of the story, but it does wrap up the overall story well, if that's the goal. And yeah, I mean, the artwork's nice, a little bit confusing at times. I think that I think that they could have handled the flashbacks with time a little bit better. You know, it's one of those things where if you're dealing with a TV episode you can provide better visual cues as to what's going on than you can here just with illustration on a flat page but i enjoyed it and so i'm going to give this one 8 sets of romulan decals
1: nice that's that's a great rating Uh, Chris, for me, I I have to say this is probably one of the strongest Star Trek comics that I've ever read. Uh, The the continuity between all the different issues that we've had has been fantastic. I do agree that it could have been uh, just a little bit clearer, but what I liked in the confusion that I had in some of it was that I wanted to go back and reread it because I knew that the story was making sense and Mm -hmm. I saw where it was going. And so by getting a chance to kind of dig into it more... You know, this is a comic that that really held up with more than one reading, and it got more and more intense and more exciting Mm -hmm. as I read it. And, you know, now I could go back and read from Romulan Spotlight all the way to the end of Schism, and I could have a fantastic story for the fifth season of TOS. Um, I I just think this reminds me a little bit of that, uh, you know, uh, fourth season kind of story. Style of storytelling for Enterprise, where a lot of it was in the smaller arcs, but it was also connected. Yeah, you could see and this being
0: like a three episode mm-hmm. arc, right?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. So uh for me, i I'd got to give this uh nine and a half gray haired
0: Commodores. <laughs> Very nice. You know, number one here, she reminded me of you a lot because she's got that same gray stripe <laughs> yeah. just like you do.
1: Oh, me and number one. What can I say? <laughs> Peas in a pod.
0: All right. Well, this has been fun, but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. And then next week, it's like, hey, Worf, what's going on? He's like, oh, not much. Just, you know, yeah. walking around the bridge like like I didn't have my spine grown, you know, last week. <laughs> Earl Grey.
1: You know, he's on the
0: Enterprise,
1: he doesn't have to be written in the movie because hey, he's on the Enterprise, everyone's on the Enterprise. He gets you a know. chair. He gets a chair. Promotion. I mean I mean the whole beginning is all about his promotion. Yeah, exactly. It's basically a uh, war centered movie
0: now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> the Orb.
1: Even Odo wasn't able to keep his, you know, quote unquote hands clean. The, the fact that he has this kind of sordid past that we didn't really know about until now is really, really interesting.
0: To the journey!
1: I think the audience by large, or by and large, kind of saw Data as a machine and was probably a little more on the side of Maddox, as in Data is it, not he, and that sort of a thing without even realizing it. And then Measure of a Man took us from that point to, you know what? This guy has the right to choose.
0: Warp 5. The TV viewer who doesn't know anything about that, they're probably more like the actual people of the Enterprise era, where the idea that we would have these starships that can take us into the depths of the galaxy at Warp 5, this is all new for them as well. The Ready Room. Deep Space Nine is closer to the original series than any other Star Trek show in terms of ideals and... Yeah, conflict. There is conflict in the original series. Mission Log, a Ronberry Star Trek podcast. What's interesting, though,
1: is this isn't even a threat. I mean, no, don't no, let no. that be your no. last battlefield. It was a threat that Kirk was making in, in, in this episode. Picard's just like, yeah, we don't know who's taking our ship, and nobody's allowed
0: to have our ship, so mm-hmm. here, let's blow it up. Commentary, Trek stars.
1: Although there is a certain... Darker aspect to the story than, let's say, one would
0: find in Roddenberry's version of humanity. There is also room for hope. Literary treks. I, I can see that Jean Luc might have told her, you know, I was reading Janeway's logs, and can you believe that Q got married and has a son? Continuing mission. You're watching the man Trap And then for no reason at all, they go into the botany... Well, I want to call it the botany bay, even though I know that's not right. The botanical...
1: I think it's just botany room. The
0: botany room. (laughs) And there's this person's hand in a pink glove as a space plant. And you're just like, what? (laughs) Melodic Treks. The latest Thompson Holiday Company advert in the United Kingdom features William Shatner's rendition of the Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Axinar, the official podcast. And as soon as I got back to L.A., um, I sat down and in about three or four days wrote this demo suite of uh, four cues. And, you know, thankfully it resonated with Alec and and Christian and here here we are. And that's what else is happening on Trek.FM. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. If you're an iTunes user, please subscribe to the show if you normally stream it. Just hit subscribe in the iTunes app or in the podcasts app or whatever application that you use on your iOS devices or your desktop. That helps us out a lot because it helps us move up in the rankings and it helps other fans of Star Trek books and comics find the show as they search in the iTunes store. And if you're not an iTunes user, we've got you covered there as well. You can find us in all the places that you get audio and podcasts. We're on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, Windows Phone. We're also on SoundCloud. We're on BlackBerry. And you can go to our website and you can stream the show from the webpage or download the audio file. Just look in the SoundCloud player in the upper right-hand corner and you'll see the little button to download the file or grab the RSS link and pop that into whatever application you like. And while you're in these places, if you have a moment, please leave us a star rating and a written review. We love to hear what you think about the show and that also helps other fans find the show as they're looking for information about Star Trek books and comics. Another way that you can help us out is to become a patron of the network and of Literary Treks on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash trekafilm, that's patreo dot com slash trekafilm, you can become a supporter on a month-to-month basis. You can set whatever amount you'd like to contribute. We do have milestone contribution levels there and all kinds of perks for you. Of course, we have digital items that we'll put in the feed from time to time, but also we have things like the opportunity to sit in on recordings of shows, to become a member of our content development group, or even to become an associate producer of the shows and the network. So we hope you'll check that out. We recently hit our first goal of $500 per month, which covers our hosting and distribution costs. It is quite expensive to operate Trek FM, and we really thank everyone who has supported us there. And we hope you'll join them by going to patreoncom film. We really, really thank you for all your support and to everyone who has already become a patron. Now, if you'd like to send your feedback on today's show, let us know what you think about the John Byrne comics. There are many ways for you to do that. You can go to our website at slash contact There's a form there. Just choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks, and that will come to us by email. You can also find us on social media. Of course, on Twitter, our username is trekfm. Facebook.com slash trekfm is our main Facebook page. But please join the Babel Conference. That is our closed group for listeners. It's our discussion group. We have great discussions over there. And all you need to do is type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook. Or go to our website and click Discussion on the menu bar. Both of those will take you right over there. Click join, and I'll let you right in. And Matthew, we have been having great discussions there about books, haven't we? Chris,
1: we've been having a blast over there. Uh, you know, we've just been talking about uh, Kirsten's new book, Acts of Contrition, uh, Q Are Cordially Invited, Lots of different books. Um, in fact, people have been really excited about getting into books uh, for the first time in the Star Trek universe, right. especially like Vanguard and uh, wanting to know about reading Voyager and Enterprise and all of these things. So I'm just so excited that uh, our listeners are really enjoying the literary universe. It's a fantastic place uh, to be, and and you know, so much of of what I think of uh, about Star Trek goes way beyond you know the 700 hours of, of of entertainment visually um I think so much uh now in the storyline so I really do encourage you if you really never picked up any of the books um hit Chris or I up uh, and we'll let you know where you can um, kind of jump in depending on what it is that you really like about the Star Trek universe um and I encourage anyone books comics it's fantastic and I think you know once you start as I've seen with a lot of our listeners on the Babel conference you don't stop.
0: So it's kind of like Pringles. (laughs) Definitely. And I love the fact that we have that forum now where we can really have conversations with the listeners. So it makes the show much more interactive. So I hope you'll go over and join us there. Again, that's on Facebook. The Babel Conference is the name, B-A-B-E-L. So Matthew, when you're not practicing putting on knee-high boots in the buff, just like the Klingon princes did, where can people find you?
1: Well, Chris, uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02, which I uh, think really isn't really a visual medium. Uh, Chris, you can also find me doing The Orb with you as well, where we talk about Deep Space Nine all the time. And then, of course, Chris, you can also find me on the brand new show, The 602 Club, where we talk about all things geeky but all things that don't necessarily have anything to do with Star Trek because right. sometimes you just got to geek out uh, about uh, Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, James Bond. Heck, it, you know, there's so much out there. We need
0: some off-duty time, right? Exactly. Can't talk Trek Ex- all the time.
1: You really can't, Chris. And then, of course, you can find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Now, Chris, when you're not trying to find a way to... Ask out number one yourself uh, because you really do like that streak in her hair. Where can we find you?
0: <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter. I don't ask her out publicly on Twitter, though. I, I use DMs for that.
1: Yeah, that's I, you know I've seen a lot of people uh, be successful with the DM, so that's a good way to go.
0: So you can find me there. My username is C Brian Jones, a letter C and Brian with a Y. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash jones. I'm also in the Babel Conference. So again, join us there and we'll talk Star Trek over there. And then elsewhere on the network, you can find me on lots of different shows. Of course, The Orb with Matthew. Um, I haven't been on the 602 Club yet, but I will at some point hop on there as a guest. When you talk about ALF, of course, Matthew. Well, uh, Chris, uh, you know
1: uh, I know that you're really excited to talk about Elf and uh, 1980 Galactica. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah! I mean, so there's uh, maybe we'll even, uh, for some reason, kind of do a little bosom buddies <laughs> retrospective. Who knows? Well, we have I mean, to, yeah, so. yeah. So, so anyway, uh, maybe on there open. at some point,
0: but I haven't been on there yet. But uh, apart from the orb with Matthew, also you'll find me on Warp Five, Continuing Mission Matterstream, Stream Hyper Channel. The Ready Room, and I co host the official podcast of Star Trek Axenar with Axenar creator and executive producer Alec Peters. So check out those if you want to hear some of my other thoughts on the world of Star Trek. Before we let you go, we would like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, audible.com. You can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible if you go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. They have so many audiobooks there, over 150, 160,000 now. I've been an Audible user myself for 14, actually probably now, Matthew, 15 years. It's amazing, even the days before iPods were around. Uh, They kept me sane in my crazy commutes in Tokyo, and they can do the same for you. And if you love podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks, of course. So check that out, audibletrial.com slash trekafilm is the URL. Choose whatever book you like, absolutely free. If you decide to cancel, there's nothing to lose. You'll get to keep that book. But when you support Audible, that really helps us here at Literary Treks to keep the show coming to you. So I hope you'll check them out, audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. Also check out enterpriseinspace.org. Enterprise in Space is a project of the nonprofit National Space Society that Larry Nemichek and I are both involved in. It's a project to build an 8-foot orbiter called the NSS Enterprise which will carry more than 100 student designed experiments into space. Also right now we're in the stage of the design competition to actually design the orbiter. Someone out there is going to decide what this craft actually looks like. And you don't have to be an engineer to enter this part of it. You just need to have a design vision. Now, it can't look like the Enterprise with Nacelles, of course, because that's licensed by CBS. But it should be a science fiction-inspired design for the spacecraft. So if you have an idea, go over to EnterpriseInSpace.org. And check out how to enter the competition there, as well as learn more about the project overall, the educational components, and become a supporter. And when you become a supporter, you can also get membership in the National Space Society as part of that for a much lower rate than would normally be the case just for NSS membership. So support science and education and the dream that science fiction gives us for the future by supporting Enterprise in Space at enterpriseinspace.org. Well, thank you so much for joining
1: us. Until next time, live long and read on.
0: You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. recording recording,
1: recording. oh robot fancy pants <laughs> it's the new metallic collector's line by alex it's such a good look you know i mean i, I gotta say I'm, I'm a big fan of the robotic pants you know I, I don't even have to like move my legs with my own muscles anymore they're just gonna move for me it's <laughs> fantastic
0: They're powered. It's like a it's like a motorized bicycle. Yeah, um, and it makes
1: yeah. It makes my butt look great in jeans. So it's
0: (laughs) so firm. It just (laughs)
1: looks so much better. Oh goodness. Oh
0: god.